Welcome to the Fit for Fitness podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Davis, owner of Davis Fitness Method here in Seattle, Washington. This podcast is your resource for reliable fitness information. This information has been sourced from studies, experts, and real-world application from training with my clients and my own body. We're here to help you enhance your life by giving you practical takeaways that you can use today so that your energy, mood, and mindset begin to change right away. So let's not waste any more time. Let's jump into this episode. All right. Today on this episode, I've got Tris with me. Tris, why don't you say hi to the folks? What's up, guys? And today, I just kind of wanted to like, I don't know, go into a little bit of the difference between DFM, which is Davis Fitness Method, and other gyms. And I mean, who better to, to kick things off than, than Tris? Um, Tris, what did you feel you noticed was, was different about what we do than where you'd been to other facilities? Okay, so my, my entire background with coaching has always been, for the most part, has always been in a box gym. So it's, it's going to be primarily focused on memberships and the relationship with the staff and what they emphasize as like their service was to provide equipment to you. It wasn't necessarily like, we're here to help you get results because you have access to equipment Right, so like yeah, a, like we a have commercial coaches. gym, right? Exactly. Okay. That's what a that's what I mean. Box gym, commercial gym, whatever you want to call it. Synonymous. Yeah, sure. And and uh so uh the biggest thing that I really liked about coming and working with Steven last year was that there was this um structure around, you know, actually providing a emphasis on coaching, right? Like this is a private training studio. This is not a gym you just come to um, and to work out and to get your workout in simply because you just have access to the equipment, you are here, you are here because you have some form of coaching provided by us, right? Whether that's an online or you have semi-private or you have one-on-one where somebody is coaching you. And so that provides a lot more structure. And I feel like that as a community sense too, is also a lot, um, stronger than what you just, you know, happen to Oh yeah, you know I'm at the front desk, and yeah, I know so and so because they come in daily, and they're that one member we know that's that's you know um, consistent. But outside right. of that, it's I didn't really see a lot of value in the um, coaching um, structure that was at those box gyms. Right, and with your clients um, that you have, do you find that here um, maybe your clients ask more questions about the other exercises that people are doing because they know that they're coaching? with somebody else who's coaching here. Like, so like my clients, they'll be like, Oh, like I see, like they're doing this. Yes. yes. Like they're doing a, a, a Copenhagen side plank. Mm-hmm. And they're like, why are they doing that? And then like, I'll kind of explain the process and like how we got to getting them there. And when we might like have, some, have them do that or something else based on their goals. Do you have clients that? Kind yeah, of like, no, exactly. Yeah. I know. Mark has literally asked me, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, like why Kevin was doing like lateral squats and he was doing something else. And it, right. I don't, and I explained to him, you know, and Kevin was there and he basically explained what Kevin's goals were. And this is why I picked this exercise. Right. And Kevin's like playing tennis, right? Kevin's playing tennis. He's doing softball recreationally yep. and he's lifting. He wants to lose weight. All these things tie into his goal. So his structure is going to be a little bit different. Right. Sure. Yes. There may be some exercises they both do, but the intention through those exercises are going to be a little bit different. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. Based on the carryover, based on the, um, the sports that they're trying to play and uh, yeah. the goals that they have. Uh, exactly. Individually. So, um, in terms of, um, maybe some things that you've learned since you started, um, what do you think were like some of the biggest takeaways? You don't have to like go into like any nitty gritty sort of details, but like basically like overarching themes that maybe like would stand out for some people. Cause they're like, Oh, I'd never done this anywhere else. Yeah. So for me, it was, I had a good understanding of, you know, picking movement patterns for exercise selection. Right. Yes, I could put together a program because somebody, I wanted somebody, if they're thinking of a full body program, I'm going to move, have you move horizontally, you know, um, vertically, either whether it's a pushing movement or pulling movement. Yep. 
or you're going to be doing a knee dominant movement, which we can, we can call a squat or a split squat, a lunge, whatever. What I learned from here, from you and from, you know, just here being here with um, clients was how we could take somebody and I was able to have a better understanding of a like lengthened muscle versus yep. like a sh- mid range and a shortened position of the muscle. And so how those provide sometimes a weaker position, sometimes a stronger position, how we can manipulate the body for say like building strength versus building more muscle. And now, yes, both of those can kind of mesh a little bit, mm-hmm. but we need to understand that these specific positions of those muscles are going to provide a better um, optimization of that goal. So if right. somebody's coming to me to build more muscle, yeah, they're going to get stronger, but we're going to make sure they have a more lengthened muscle in some of the exercises versus just a shortened position. Right. Um, I think you could do a really good job explaining like one versus the other. Right. Well, uh, so I guess, um, so shortened mid and lengthened end range, like if we were to start at shortened, shortened is going to be like the most um, contracted, if you will, like, so like the squeeze in the yep, bicep, like if you did, if you flexed your bicep or if you like curled your leg or if you like flexed your, like if you fully extended your knee, like you tried to kick your feet up towards the ceiling, you'd notice that your quad was in that short position. Now, based on, based, based on the quads attachments, like you'd have to also like get the hip like flexed as well to get it in a fully shortened position. Anywho. So a fully short position is a weaker position for most muscles. Then you have your mid range, which is going to be a stronger position. Those positions would be best for like driving output. So these would be like exercises that you can really go hard because, um, the muscle actually allows for it based on the strength curve. And then the lengthened position is also a a net weaker position, but because of the amount of tension created in length, it often is like an area that also allows for greater amounts of growth. So, um, I think a really good example is when we discuss growing the delt and we could do a, if we can do a dumbbell lateral raise, but if we change the, what we call like the resistance profile and we, yep. we switch to a cable. Yep. And so now it's single arm. We're starting to where, if you can imagine standing straight up, your arms are at your sides. If I'm going to hold a handle on my right hands and the cable is coming to, from my left and the cable from its origin is creating this 90 degree angle up my arm as it yeah, connects so to my hands. Like about mid thigh. About mid thigh. Sure. Unless you got ridiculously long arms. Yeah. Uh, you are creating kind of the most tension at that at that bottom end of the position. Yep. And then as you are starting to lift that arm to that lateral raise, the tension sort of drops off. Right. It gets easier as you go into the top. Right. Yeah. So um so like that's that's one that's one way um of looking at like, oh, that's where we're gonna challenge the lengthened position. Um as opposed to like let's say like if the goals if the goal is growth for that particular um exercise i'd probably drive output through mid-range first and then move the cable into that lengthened position because as you because as you reach out into that mid-range where you are fatigued mm. it the tension's going to drop off yeah. which this is, is this can be hard to conceptualize but based on where we put the cable it will challenge a different part of the movement and this is just like physics but that's part of why we're different um <laughs> And then, like, other things are, like, so why why would we want to train the shortened end range? Most of the time, it's because it helps improve the function of that muscle. And when I say function, this is, like, how well this thing performs in everyday movements, if you will. Like, yeah. it's, like, if the hamstring's job is to help extend the hip through, that's its action. But if its other job is to help keep the pelvis stable, then we need it to be strong in that shortened end range. Mm-hmm. So um, when we're like taking people through different positions and we've been like, okay, now we're working on a, a shortened end range. It's like, this is really ridiculously hard because you're going to have to use a lot less weight. These positions tend to feel less stable. You're not. Um, and, and if you try to force yourself through them, you end up compensating with stronger muscles. So it can kind of feel ridiculous to train a muscle in the shortened end range because you have to focus so hard. Yeah. But when you do that, you in, you promote the the longevity of that joint, and then that can also help you to produce greater amounts of output because that joint is now more stable. A stable joint can produce more force, 
which will result in more growth. And for those of you that aren't necessarily interested in building muscle, let's say your goal is to quote unquote tone up. What you've just told me is that you want to improve the relationship of your the amount of muscle you have to the amount of fat you have. That is effectively toning up. So if you say, I want to, like, I want to tone up. What I'm hearing is you actually might want to build some muscle, lose some fat, keep things around the same size, right? So it might not appear to you that you've grown all these muscles because net you're smaller because you've built muscle and lost fat. And the amount of muscle that you likely built is going to be less than the amount of fat that you lost in that area. That's most likely. Um, so I would say you do kind of want to build muscle even when you say you're like not necessarily trying to build muscle. Unless your goal is just just purely like I would just – I don't care if I get any more toned. I don't care if I build any more muscle. I just kind of want to get stronger. Then you would still want to train in the short end range because – it will help you create greater amounts of stability so that you can produce more force. Right. And all these things are, are what we consider when we put together a program and what somebody's focusing on. What I really like about how we do our assessment here is something that really opened my eyes to from doing passive movements to more of an active test. And I've come from many gyms to where a, a drill or an active test is to have somebody do a overhead squat when it's not going to provide as much of an insight, especially if that person just can't even squat to begin with. And it, But it's such a standardized um, approach within that space that it's kind of hard to think of, like, especially for a new trainer, and I've met, I had met a few of them before I left, where like, how do I, how do I pick this apart and to take things as simple as like looking at hip flexion extension, looking at our ability to create external internal rotation of the shoulder how can i look at those things individually what's the best test that i can put onto somebody that's never done a squat or at least for the sake of exercise so that i can actually put together a program that's going to help them if i take somebody through an overhead squat and they can't even get the this dowel or this bar overhead i mean you're kind of like shit what what am i going to do and i'm imagining this for like somebody who's like in their first month being a trainer Right. Right. So what do you, can you, can you kind of break down a little bit about like why you like um, doing the assessment the way that you do and kind of how yeah. it's pieced together? Yeah. So I'm not necessarily, so like I, I love all the things that we test for. I'm not necessarily like when we do assess somebody, I'm not like this is going to be their perpetual state of being. Like I've had people who came in for a screen and they're like, oh, I had a late night last night. I was like, okay, this guy's probably going to be a little bit tighter than he is normally. Let's see if this like gives me anything today, and and um, uh, it it likely will give me a better assessment of like some amount of strength. But we're also gonna like we're constantly assessing through workouts. So like if I notice like something was you know slightly off during a workout, we'll still adjust. But um, that being said, um, things I like to test for passively are like we'll have people lie flat on their back. Um, we'll get their arm into like this like kind of field goal type position where your arms at like 90 degree and we try to like rotate it back so it's like towards your your head and we see how far you can go back without any assistance because basically the only assistance that you're going to get or without any of your help so the only assistance you're getting is from gravity so that's why we call it a passive test then we do the same thing in the opposite position now you're rotating towards your hip and we want to see how well it can go down without your shoulder popping up. And so we'll test that, and then we'll test shoulder flexion. So have you lying flat on your back, we'll try to get you, see how, if your arm can go all the way back. Um, again, without like any pinching or any real stretching. So, um, well, there will be some stretching, but without any like weird stretching. So like you're, where you feel like, ah, oh, like this is uncomfortable or you're experiencing discomfort. Then we kind of do the same thing at the hip where we pull the hip up or we'll pull the knee up towards the chest a bit so that it's just directly over your pelvis. We rotate one heel towards the opposite hip and then we try to rotate it out the other way, which is called internal and external rotation. And then we do um, a hip flexion test um, where we just like basically are seeing kind of like hamstring flexibility for the most part. Um, see how high that goes up. 
uh, again, without you trying to pull it up. And then uh, we'll have you sit at the end of the table, um, and then we'll see how well the hips can extend. Now, when we're looking at these positions, we're kind of creating shapes that we're going to create during exercise. So I know that if we're going to do a shoulder press directly overhead, that requires that you're able to get your arm into 90 degrees of external rotation because gravity is coming straight down from the ceiling. So if I can't do that in my passive test, and then we do your active test, your active test isn't going to be better than your passive test because if you don't have passive range of motion, you can't have active control of that muscle. Mm -hmm. So when we go through the active test, we'll see how well you did. Let's say now when we go actively, you have, let's say you, you, let's say you pass the passive screen. You have 90 degrees of passive shoulder flexion. But when we do the active test, now you're moving your arm through space. It's like, oh, I can only you know, flex my shoulder 60 degrees. Cool. Well, that kind of eliminates pressing overhead because pressing overhead requires 90 degrees of shoulder flexion. Okay, so what could we do instead? It's like, okay, well, maybe we do a landmine shoulder press, mm. or maybe we do um, an incline shoulder pl- press, which has us at a 45-degree angle. Um, and, and even though the bench is at a 45-degree, doesn't necessarily mean you're pressing at a 45-degree. You have to look at the degree of shoulder flexion relative to your body. So yeah. we would look at that person and be like, okay, like, is this going to be a good position for them or not? And that's kind of how you would start that program. Now, let's say like on any particular day, let's say they had a, a, a bad tight day or whatever, right? So things are a little bit reduced. Um, let's say on their screen when we initially assess them, it was like, okay, great. We've got about 60. To be safe, we'll, we'll probably keep you around like that 50, 45 range. And let's say like you're having a hard time with that that, that day. Cool, we can reduce the angle and now go more of like a, a slight incline or even a flat press um, on any particular day. And then if you're having a good day, we could move it up. So we're not necessarily, we don't have to necessarily be, if, if the adaptation we're looking for is increasing that shoulder flexion, we're going to kind of vary our position with the amount of variance that this person comes in with. So you don't necessarily have to be like, oh, I'm only going to incline press. I like, if, if my goal is to get them further and further overhead, I can adjust that as they're controlling it well. Does that make sense? Makes sense. Uh, and that's kind of why we have this this arsenal of exercises that we can pick from because if we can't get into certain ranges, then we are going to be changing the angle of your shoulder relative to how your torso is, right. whether that's horizontal to the ground, parallel to it, or we're slightly going a bit more vertical yep. all the way until we are completely overhead. Yep. And with the use of landmine, with dumbbells, with cables, with we, yeah. can, we can vary the position a lot of different ways. Yeah. I mean, shoot, I remember the first time you corrected me in my, my landmine and I was, I still look pissed in that video because I'm like, I think I have it. And then you adjust some, something and then it puts like so much more uh, attention on my shoulder. I'm like motherfucker <laughs> in my head. I'm thinking this guy's going to die later. <laughs> so, uh, and I think it was in half thing too, which just made it so much harder for me. Right. Um, but like, I, I mean, you came in and you're like shoulders were a bit oh yeah my more stiff than they are now yeah they were they were definitely locked up like i couldn't uh, like i if anybody listening to this has ever gone through the same thing i couldn't do something as simple as like like lay and like cuddle with my girlfriend without my shoulder popping and grinding and it was Mm. it was painful and uncomfortable it would piss me off sometimes and sometimes it just ruined my mood and uh it wasn't until like we started diving into like the serratus interior and how the delt was moving and how this control of the scapula around the rib cage that I start to really understand what is it that was maybe going on mm. and that we were able to at least kind of like isolate certain muscles with, you know, a bottoms up cuttable holds or we did, um, you know, downward dog um, to like tall plank and we would do these variations that would help those muscles get stronger and my overall shoulder function definitely improved and my pain was you know, a lot more managed and minimized and so now I Breathe a bird. Yeah. You can, you can press over your head now. I can press over my head now. I'm doing high incline barbell press now, which Are is... Are you? I know, right? Hasn't even, yeah, crazy? hasn't even been a full year yet. Yeah, no. Crazy. Little, and, and, it's, and this is what's great about having a coach is and having like Steven in the room is that even at those progressions, I can still find myself like... If anybody's ever done a 
if you ever see yourself doing like a press and you can see that your wrists are kind of falling forward and your elbows are falling back, yeah. then you are having like relative uh, to the ceiling, right? Relative to the ceiling. Yeah. And then you're having problem creating external rotation. And it's at the bottom of the hole, if you think of like, as I'm bringing the bar down towards my chest for this high incline press, I still have trouble with that. So to optimize that, Steven will like point that out or send him a video and he'll be like, yeah, if you can't see it, then like, here's what I'm looking at. And, you know, that gives me better visualization. So, again, that's another reason why, like, getting a coach and why having a coach that, that knows what they're talking yeah, about is so ideal. you necessarily feel it happening. No, yeah, no. Right. And you may feel something, but, like, there's so much intensity going on in those yeah. ranges that you're, like, is it because it's just heavy or is it because, like, I'm not in a good position? So I want to talk about intensity real quick. Yeah, let's do it. And, and not necessarily about, like, so, A, intensity is, like, how much weight relative to your max. So, like... 100% of your max would be a very high intensity where 10% of your max would be no intensity. Yeah. Um, so the thing about intensity is... <laughs> Zoom in on the mic. Right. The thing about intensity is it creates noise. So because you have to create a tremendous amount of tension and you, uh, you have to like basically be so focused on these other global movers that you can't necessarily be like well, how well am I externally rotated and depressed? And you do want to try to lock those things in before you start the movement. But as soon as things get going, it's like going 100 on the freeway with your windows down. Oh, absolutely. Right, so it's like all this air is fucking rushing yeah. in. That's basically what's going on. And you're like, when you're at the bottom of that movement, you're like, I just it got to get up. And yeah. you just like push it, right? So yeah. that's one thing that comes with intensity. And so part of the reason why we're like, okay, we want to, to scale these things up as we become more stable, like we might, we might work at lower relative intensities, but find ways to make that feel like a lot of noise, if that makes sense. So like mm-hmm. we might do pauses. So you'll come to the bottom of that movement and it's like you pause it, you kind of stop any like elastic tension in that movement. And now you have to press again. And now you're like, Oh shit. It feels like a lot to push it back up. But then when we start to find ourselves in positions where the challenge is equally as high but now just because of intensity not just because we're pausing you'll find yourself more familiar with what to do in that position because it's kind of like a preview of what that would feel like mm-hmm. so. i think uh uh shoot i just have my why is why i don't look at my phone i had a good <laughs> thought in my head and i just i just spaced about it no worries so um one thing i actually wanted to kind of talk about is the addition that you kind of brought on which is your, um, so like we have an approach to fitness generally and, um, we are, um, aligned in our approach to nutrition for the most part, but you, um, have, have taken it, I think a a step further with your education in nutrition. What, um, what would you say are like some things that you do differently um, then maybe most coaches do with their nutrition or things that you're paying attention to that maybe you didn't notice at other places. Well, first of all, in box gyms, they almost never pay attention to nutrition. Like your, your trainer might tell you eat more protein and have less calories, but dude, I think the biggest thing that I've had to, uh, do as a, as somebody's coach in nutrition is it wasn't even around the nutrition. It was like about the relationship that I had to build with that client and to kind of really help them understand like that their stress and their lack of sleep and the lack of recovery, all these things that can be improved with um, improving those biofeedbacks and like how nutrition is like that kind of form of recovery at times uh, that we can't always rely on just looking at a set of macros or a set meal plan that you get from Google or whatever that you buy that's pre-made for you online, like how that is not individualized for you. And that's kind of like your downfall. And so you have, and if I have clients come to me and they've been on these diets for X amount of time and I ask them like, well, how are you doing with that? Like, is that actually helping you? And I've had a couple of times where they've just like, no, I hate it. I absolutely hate it. And then it's, it's, it opens up a really good conversation about like, well, why are you doing it? Why are you doing keto? when that's when you're, when your goal is to, increased performance in the gym, but you're not giving yourself any carbohydrates like that body's primary fuel source. And when we're trying to increase strength and just, that's just within a nutshell of like an example of what we may see. And so what I've feel like I've done um, differently than what I've seen with say, like, like when I've seen at box gyms and we've both had, had experience with DotFit that I'm able to actually look at the, 
my client as a person and understand that those are things that we need to consider when we're working with nutrition. Right. It can be a, it can be a very simple approach. Right. But it can be very tricky when we think about how emotionally compromised we can be at times and how food can, can that relationship with food can be a little tricky. Right. So, yeah. Cause I mean, like even like even with what you said about the keto, like somebody somebody had maybe a set of beliefs surrounding like keto, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Well, I can't control myself with carbohydrates," which is why they selected keto. Yeah, and it's like, okay, well, if if I mean if that is actually true, what do you do in that situation? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um. Like, how would you go about approaching that? Like, if somebody's like, I just don't feel like I can control myself around carbohydrates. So I would, I would, I would want to know more for sure. Like, I would ask them about their history with, if somebody just answered that with that simple phrase, and I would want to understand exactly why they were having such an issue with carbohydrates. Like, if they're eating when they're stressed or something. Exactly, yeah. And you've had a really good example of this when we first met of how, like, people are eating because, like, they're lonely or they're sad or they're mad or tired. Yeah, yeah, hang, it's, it's, yeah. Hungry and angry, lonely, tired. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, understanding what triggers that person to respond that way, that's really important. Right. So, um, yeah, this person is going to tell me like they, they don't feel like they have this um, sense of control around carbohydrates. Yeah. And it's because it's such high palatable things or because they are stress eating, then it's it's good. Not as like I am by no means means their doctor or their um, psychologist or shrink, whatever. But it's good to understand exactly what's causing those triggers. And if it's not the place and the time to introduce those carbohydrates again, yep. then maybe keto is the right thing for you. Right. Maybe maybe that does help you. But there's also another side of that coin to where if you were doing keto and it led you to where you were so deprived of it and so restricted right. that you would binge and then feel guilty and shameful uh, because of the decision, then that's that's a conversation that's worth having. Or like, what if you start with keto, but you find a way out of it, right? Like, so it's like slowly, slowly intru- introducing carbohydrates, exactly. Or something like that. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it too, right? Uh, so like, uh, I so I've had, I mean, I've had like, I've been the trainer that was like, had clients come in, and so like, I'm I will be the first to admit that depending on what year you trained with me, like early on, pr- probably a pretty terrible training experience, but. You know, we grow, we live, and we learn. But um, at previous points in time, I'd have clients that were like, oh, I want to do X diet. And me, being who I was, would be like, why would you want to do that diet? That's a silly diet. And then, like, people don't trust you, right? So it's like, now it's like, okay, like, cool, you want to do that thing. Um, Like, is this something that you plan on doing long term? You know, do you plan on doing anything else? After that, um, like, what do you, what do you envision your lifestyle to be like when you are just trying to maintain like stuff like that? Like, so like, really trying to get an understanding of like what they're really trying to get out of this um, thing. And like, I've had clients that were like, "I'm going to do this thing. It's maybe not sustainable. Um, they recognize it's not, and then had good success with it. But then they're like, "Okay, this is also how I'm going to str- uh, like transition out of it." And I was like, "Okay, like I'm in full support of you doing that." Um, do I think that there might be more effective means potentially? But the thing is, is like, I also trust that person to know themselves enough that they're like, okay, I know what, what, what kind of happened here. Now, if there, if there are certain things that they're just not considering, then I'll be like, Hey, have, have you, have you thought about like X, right? Like insert variable. And cause like somebody might be like, oh, I, I always get, I always get hungry like right before bedtime or something like that. And that could be any number of things. Um, whether it was like not getting enough sleep at night could lead to um, increased hunger during the day. So like having a detailed intake or in a detailed questionnaire to really find out what's going on with this person is why you might want somebody to like handle your nutrition coaching versus like, let's say you're talking to your, your coach about macros during the session. They're probably not going to find all of that stuff out. Whereas when you sit down with them for nutrition coaching it's like hey we're gonna do this detailed intake so that i can find out as much about your lifestyle and lifestyle factors as i can could that come up in conversation over time with your trainer if you're working with them for long enough yeah it probably could but the thing is is like you could have got results so much faster we knew it now right 
And so that also... Uh, and give you a plan of attack that we can then also work through. Because just because you know the thing now doesn't mean we have the strategy that's going to work for you right now. Yeah, and how many how many coaches are actually doing this? Right. Not enough, in my opinion. I mean, I've seen, I've seen the onboarding system at um, other gyms, and it's definitely not... The same way that I would do for like my nutrition coaching online or the way that we would do here. You know, we do an intake form. We sit down with them. We go through their assessment. We have a phone call with them. We have all these interactions with them before we actually are actually coaching them in this program. Right. And um, I think that makes the biggest difference. Uh, what, you know, do you, what do you think is like, what do you think is probably the most overlooked things like in, in regard to actual nutrition? Like, so if somebody were to get started, like. Or what would be some tangible action steps for somebody who maybe has already completed this uh, intake and you're like, these are the things that you find are the first action steps most of the time? Uh, composition of their meals. I think sometimes you have that person that doesn't really quite know how to make effective snacks and meals that are going to help them uh, with getting more protein, for example, right? Yeah, most people are probably shorter on the protein side, right? Yeah. Or you know, how many clients that we have have we had in the past, and even times now where they come in, and you find out they've only had one meal today, right? When I coach in the afternoon, and these people are getting <laughs> up at yeah. you know six a.m. in the morning, like how have you not eaten? And it's now at four o'clock in the afternoon. I had four cups of coffee. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, sure, caffeine suppresses hunger. That doesn't mean that you need to not eat. Yeah, but it's it's kind of a it's something that is, I think, is overlooked a lot is how to actually create um, a tangible um, thing to do, like an action step to do for creating a simple meal right. or a snack that you can repeat on a daily basis. Right. Maybe that sounds boring to you, but if it's something that you can sustain, then you should probably give it a shot. Or at least some sort of template surrounding it. Exactly. Like, right? Yeah. Like, so like, like I ask clients um, to make me a list of their favorite and I explained to you, these are examples of carbohydrates. These are examples of where you find fats, trace fats. And then these are examples of proteins. Why don't you create me a list of your favorites? And then I will sit down with you and create your perfect day. Right. And I will make some variations for you. And I've done that over coaching calls. And I've done that uh, via email. And I usually, whenever I'm sending out a plan, they'll have an example of like, okay, here's, here's like, if we're going numeric, if we are doing macros, I'll give them like an example of how many you might get in a certain amount of right. meals. Here's some foundational guidelines, and below it, I'll hear I'll have including their favorite foods that I that I know about already ahead of time. Does is, this include like if they wanted three Oreos or six Oreos or yeah, if if is if that getting in there somewhere. Yeah, sometimes I'll, it's kind of cool. I ask like, what are foods that you love? I'll put it in parentheses too. Like, yes, spirits and beer is totally acceptable, and they'll list like things that they love. Um, I have yet to see Oreos. I have not seen Oreos. had Oreos on the list. No, no. I remember. So, I, I mean, I've talked about this on my podcast with Rena, but, like, I struggled with orthorexia at one point. And uh, for those of you that didn't listen to that podcast, orthorexia is essentially where you um, you think or you, you basically think that some foods are, like, they're forbidden um, and you only eat foods that you deem are healthy. So Oreos does not fall on that list. And I remember watching like some YouTube video and it was like, you know, this guy and he's like in great shape. And he's like, I eat six Oreos every day. And I was like, how the fuck does he do it? Dude, isn't it nuts though? But if you think about it, like, I hear like now, now, duh. Yeah. But, <laughs> but back then, like, yeah, dude. And what if, okay, let's say like, cause Oreos are, are vegan. I think they're gluten free. I don't know if they're, they're vegan. Are they? Okay, I don't know. Because I really I don't, don't know. I don't know for sure. Yeah. Um, what is that that center filling made of? But isn't it kind of ridiculous? I don't, I have no idea. It's coconut. What And and, and what it's is coconut. that? What is that little cookie made out of? There's no milk in it? It's, it's almond milk. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if we had this recorded, our faces. But, uh and I think it's an interesting label. Like, did you find yourself struggling with like a lot of labels that you'd see on certain foods? And do you think that influenced that? Um, Man, that no. Condition? Okay, so like, I definitely was conditioned by like people around me, okay. not as so much like, like this what free or non-GMO. Fuck what the label said. Okay, <laughs> it could say it was the healthiest shit ever. Yeah, dude. If it was white rice, it's dirty. Okay, so okay, so then how would you feel at the time about? 
like artificial sweeteners and zero calorie drinks and what did your what it was your I think I was okay with that. Okay. I don't know that I was doing it though. You, okay, so then you said white rice was dirty. Yeah. So were you was the clean eating the phrase in your head yes. a lot of the time. Okay. Mm-hmm. So give me an example of like clean eating to you. Uh chicken breast, oatmeal, um, definitely broccoli. Brown rice was cool. Um, sweet potatoes are fine. Okay. Tilapia was you know, would you say that eggs were cool? Eggs were cool. Okay. Would you say that the white rice was was dirty because it was it's it was supposed to be fast fast digesting, and it was refined. And, yeah. Okay. So, all right. It's glycemic index, bro. Oh gosh, those damn jelly beans. <laughs> yeah, no, it was terrible, dude. Like to the point where I literally I had a dream that I that I bit into a burger. And I woke up in like fucking night sweat or something, and I go to the bathroom just to check to see if my abs were still there. <laughs> uh, Gosh, dude. Um, yeah. You know, I don't quite recall what my my thought process when. And if anybody follows me on Instagram, they've seen the images of where I weighed about 140, 130, 133 pounds. I think the lowest that I went in my twenties. And if you're not, if if you, if you don't follow him, just imagine if you took a tripod stand and you stood it out in front of you, it's about what Tris looked like. Yeah. I I looked, I looked so, um, malnourished is actually the phrase that I've gotten from several people. Yeah. I can see that. And, um, it caused like a skin condition to flare up. It caused my stress to be incredibly high, which is really interesting of how, uh, and I mean this kind of sarcastically is how the lack of food and the increase of stress kind of cycles each other. Right. They're like best friends. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And it wasn't, and I wouldn't, I Somehow actually, like inflammation is higher. Yeah. And I had other factors that yeah. played into like my hunger cues were, um, shot. Like I wasn't very hungry all the time. And yeah, I would, I would snack in some chips and things like that occasionally, but these are like, I just, I just don't see them as really like binging. Right. Um, which is probably why I was so damn fucking skinny. Right. So, um, and that's something that took me a while to get over it with. And I think that was a big mental battle. And it wasn't even about like what's clean or what's dirty. It was more about like. Did you eat protein? God, no. <laughs> I mean, the occasional Q-double bowl, Chipotle bowl, sure. <laughs> but um, I could even tell you what I would, what I was picking. Like, and I had a nutrition coach at at, at a certain point of that too. Um, oh, you did? I did. Yeah. I actually had a nutrition coach for like a few months and and I didn't, and I didn't. Were they put, telling you to have protein? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. But you just weren't. No, I, I, I was doing your own allowing. Thing. Yeah. I was allowing myself to think that what I was doing was either enough or I was so depressed that I just didn't care. Got you. So Do you think that you've had clients that were maybe like that where they, they thought they were at a stage where they were ready, but they're clearly not listening to the coach. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's been a couple too. Do you think there's anything that, um, you could now do to potentially remedy that? Or do you think it's just something that somebody has to like, they have to get within themselves. Like you can ask them questions to kind of dig deeper, but do you think that ultimately like there's anything that that coach could have done to get you back on track? I think understand their history around food a bit more could help. I mean, it's sometimes you based off their actions, you can kind of see it coming. Do you think you were exhibiting like certain patterns? Like your weight wasn't changing or like, it's like, dude, like if you were following the program, you'd probably change to some degree here. Yeah, like I knew that my weight would increase, yet I was still somehow hopeful, and yet I wasn't eating all the food that was prescribed. And if I right. did, or if I got to the point where like it was in front of me, I wouldn't finish it. Right. Right. And it's it's tell yourself you're like too full. Yeah, I would, and I'd feel nauseous, or like yeah. I'd wait. I would tell myself I don't like to eat in the morning because I get nauseous. And then right. when I finally got over that that thought, it was like. I'm hungry. It's okay to eat. You can eat food. Right. right? Like you can nourish your body. It's right. cool. It's okay to get bigger. Right. And I when I just went for it. And right. so, I've, I, 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 that's one thing that I would say is common amongst the clients that I, the male clients that I have that want to gain weight, is they also tend to not eat breakfast. And I'm like, I used to, and like when I was in high school, like my breakfast was the protein shake my mom made. And like fast forward years later, I was like, mom, that was all the protein you were putting in for the entire family. It was like two scoops. 
like the whole family. It was like a bunch of berries. Yeah. But um, I love you, mom. Um, but <laughs> but then I would take that, and then like sometimes I was like, yeah, like there's some things I wanted to buy, and like my mom would give me lunch money to go like to school to buy lunch, and I'm like, I'm skipping lunch because I want to buy something else instead. Um, and I wasn't working the job or anything. I just like hang out with my friends. But um, that ended up me being like pretty skinny. And then, like, when I got to, like, training school, they're, like, I was, like, I, it. this is notorious uh, skinny guy talk. It's, like, oh, yeah, I eat so much. You wouldn't believe how much I eat. Like, dude. Like, and then they describe the one big meal they eat, which, like, like even when I was in high school was, like, I ate, like, fucking four bowls of cereal back to back, and then I'd have dinner. But that was all my calories for the day. And that's probably like, probably still under two thousand. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it depends on. Big but like, but like, I'm running those from like, three p.m. to seven p.m. So yeah, I'm gonna be full, and I felt yeah. like it was so much food, but I legit was not getting enough. Dude, I would piss off my nana. I love you, nana, but I would piss her off because she'd buy a gallon of milk, be gone in a day. Right. And even her son, my uncle. Would uh, he would eat a bowl of cereal? Like you talk about full bowls of cereal, yeah. he would eat one out of a fucking mixing bowl. <laughs> like if you ever meet Rick, this dude is built like a tank. Right. Like we ever talk about? I don't know if, if Stevens ever mentioned this on the previous podcast, but like never trust a man who says they're strong if they don't have a big ass. <laughs> and my uncle's got a big ass, and yeah, so it's kind of yeah. yeah. And so he's a pretty strong dude. Uh, but enough about you know, other men's asses. Anyways, that's okay, man. We can keep it on. We can talk about glutes all day. Yeah. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't think there's really anything that you know, I could have done differently with myself because it yeah. was just something I had to take one step at a time. Yeah. And as uncomfortable it was, like that, the biggest battle for me was mentally. Yeah. And then I think during COVID was when I was like. I was, I had some other struggles too I had to go with, but, um, the food part was definitely changed when I was like, you know, just finally okay with like my body changing. Right. So. I think that's another thing that I've also noticed with, with clients in nutrition is like anytime. So like on the podcast with Cody, we talk about like different like seasons for different things and, and change and um, development and stuff like that. And like anytime somebody's going through some sort of, um, maybe it's like job um job hardship or like relationship stuff um it tends to be harder to do the things surrounding your nutrition goals and so um it's kind you you kind of end up having to learn to balance other things in order to be in a good spot to actually have success in these other things and now you can fight it and there are people who do they have extremely strong wills and they like fight their way through this diet and they get to their goal, and then when they finally let go of the reins, it all comes right back, right? So it's like we don't want to have this, like, cycle of having to repeat in this, like, yo-yo where it's like I'm constantly fighting my way through something, and it's like, okay, like, can we find a way to make this? When we, when we say sustainable, it means can I find a way to make this work given my current circumstances? And so if you can find a way to make it work like that and you find that, okay, like the diet had to in some way reduce the amount of stress over the long term. So like if you diet hard, that would be higher stress. And if you make the diet like a small incremental change, this would be lower stress. So like if we, all we did was ask you to like eat more protein at your meals yeah. and this n led to a net reduction and the amount of calories you consumed, maybe marginal, not like a crazy deficit. Mm -hmm. So like one thing I, I like to point out to my clients is if you made a hundred calorie deficit a day, yeah, it's not a huge deficit at all. Like you wouldn't, you can accidentally throw on a hundred calories. Now, if you made a hundred calorie reduction over 30 days, you'll lose a pound. Maybe that's not the rate at which you want to lose weight because that's extremely slow. But right. imagine you never put that pound back on again. You do that month after month after month after month. And at the end of the year, you're 12 pounds lighter. 
off of a change that was so incremental. And that's actually how it can come on too. But in a lot of cases, it, it tends to be those periods where we have large adjustments in our life where all the shit goes crazy. That's when we're packing on the weight. Like we didn't intend to like our attention's kind of slipping. You're like, I was really good. Like, and then this thing happened. Right. And that's why like a lot of people during COVID, like ended up gaining a lot of weight. Cause they totally like their whole life. Just, yeah. Right. And so then I was like, well, how do I get back into the routine? And, like it literally is like the, the, as soon as you can be like, okay, how do I get this under control for me? Not necessarily like what's most optimal, but like, how do I get this under control for me considering my current situation? Yeah. And that's kind of just like the conversation you need to have either with yourself or with a coach and, uh, the flexibility that comes around it. It just, it, you literally have to write it out. At least in my opinion, I like to write it out and like Mm -hmm. to break down like, okay, this is, these are my most, um, viable times where I need to focus on this. And so I'm going to pick realistically like, okay, let's say I can do three meals a day. That's all I got. Fine. I don't want to overcomplicate it because change already is going to be hard enough for me. I'm going to pick these three slots. This is what I'm going to eat. I know I should probably be doing more protein, for example, or I know that after my second meal, I have a workout. Right. So I should probably put a bit more food into that meal. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I should be aware of what I'm picking because, and we can, and even at that point, maybe, maybe not, maybe that's just a bit further down the line, but the simplest you can keep it and the more sustainable that, that comes from that, the more success, you, the more success you're going to have. And so, um, I just, I wouldn't overcomplicate whatever plan you think is best for you. Right. As long as we are seeing change and your, again, like biofeedback is doing really well. You're still sleeping really well and your stress is staying as low as it can. Uh, then we're going to see change and we're going to be able to sustain that in the long run. So um, I think just at the end of the day, when we restrict ourselves so much that we we are deprived of things that we could have otherwise done a bit more of, um, uh, with more flexibility, that's when we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot. Right. So the greatest change um, in, 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 like in somebody's life, for us, a lot of the times, like Tris can dive into the weeds on the science on training but when we when we really look to actually create change with somebody it has to come from like this understanding of people and working with people and not like forcing a very specific meal plan or structure on someone it's about finding out where they're at and what is the like lowest hanging fruit or the smallest point of adjustment adjustment that will actually like create change for that person Mm -hmm. and so like I know you wanted to dive into some science on protein. Oh yeah. I still okay. feel like doing that. Okay. We, we only have a few minutes left, gotcha. so we gotta, I don't want to like overwhelm you. <laughs> cool. Um, and then like, I mean the same thing is, is true of our coaching, right? So like I can be like, Hey man, like we want to do this contralaterally loaded split squat and we're going to do it. Um, with the front foot elevated, we're really going to focus on driving into internal rotation, like all this stuff, right? Like, so, Somebody's like, oh, what the fuck? What the fuck is he talking right. about? Right. And so, um, and but but if they hate the exercise, well, then I'm not going to get what I wanted out of that exercise anyway. No. So let's let's pick exercises that um, you enjoy or at least can tolerate. And if we get to the point where in a session you're like, I've had enough of these Bulgarian split squats. Like if we get to that point, it's like, all right, cool. Like, um. Like, I mean, you probably have clients that were like, I'm not doing another quadruped hip extension. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Oh, gosh. All right. I've heard that before. Yeah, and then that's probably time to just, just change the exercise. Right. I mean, there's other ways to target the core. Yeah. So to target the muscle that you're trying to, to work on. So Right. Um, so, yeah, it's still got to be enjoyable. Um, and while we might be like, oh, this would be optimal for hitting the goal, it's like we, we coach people, we program computers, right? Yeah. So, like, if we're writing the perfect program, it likely would not involve humans. Right. Because they're so variable and Right. And I tell and I tell every client that this is the program that I've created for you. Right. There will be times though that I will be making changes on the spot. Right. As um as needed based off how you respond. Right. And, and how so, you're moving today. And how you're moving today. Right. There will be days that you come in and you are just not being 
you know, you're not an A1. You're not being at 100%, mm-hmm. you know, and that's okay. Right. I'm not going to beat you up for it. I'm not going right. to punish you for it. I'm just going to adjust things for you. Right. And there's going to be some days where you come in and you're better than ever. And yep. we'll do the opposite. We're like, we're going to adjust. Fucking, it's fun as hell. We're going to adjust things and be like, oh shit, like maybe we can move to this more difficult position yeah. today. Like you're way more stable today. Um, and so there is a degree of variance when there, when, when it comes to dealing with people and we recognize that there is variance in people's day to day lives. And like, the thing is, is about like having what we have is, is a, is a strategy. It, it's less a plan and more a strategy. So it's yeah. like, Based on what we've seen this day, this is what we plan on doing. If this happens, we will do X. And if this happens, we will do Y. And the same is true of nutrition where it's like on a normal day, I might eat three meals. But on a day where I know I'm not going to be able to fit in as many meals, I'm going to plan for more snacks that day. And I'm going to squeeze them in in between meetings or whatever. Like maybe it's just for the, the meetings in the middle of the day, but you still have time for breakfast and dinner. Um, and then f- instead of one meal for lunch, you have a couple snacks. Yeah. And to kind of like finish up my last note will be like with all these things that we do for coaching, I think one of the biggest things that I love about coaching is there are moments where I get to not like I told you so, but it's really cool. And it's a really awesome moment to show a client just how much stronger that they, that they are mm-hmm. and they think they are. And sometimes it's kind of like, like you are more capable than you think. Right. And mentally that block is sometimes there for all of us. And so sometimes we, all we need is just a coach to kind of like just nudge us just a little bit more. Right. And we have these beautiful moments of like, damn, I am fucking strong. Right. I, I really enjoy that too. Yeah. Do you want to know my favorite, my favorite moment in coaching? When you hear them scream. <laughs> <laughs> Take them back on the hack squad and die. No. Um, like actually really, um, and it's the same reason I like, you know, like helping you and everybody else is like when you get to the point where you understand yeah, and like you could do this shit without me. Yeah. But like, you're still kind of here. Yeah. And that, that for me is like, that's like, I'm like, right. it's like proud dad moment. And that was, I mean, it was before Aventus, right? So yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I've been having proud dad moments for a long time. Like a client will be like, they'll say like the load position. They'll be like. Oh, this is contralateral. Yeah, and I'm like, you got it. You got and it. And then they're like, oh, and this is why I'm doing it. Yep. And I'm like, okay, like, you, you've been sensate. You've been fully sensate. Yes. You get this, and you're and, and you're still here, and I still get to watch you grow, and that's awesome. Yeah. Um, but some people don't. They don't need to be here. They just yeah. like being here. It's like at the point, it's no longer like just coaching client, but you guys are like peers, and you can have those more in depth yeah. conversations about these movements and yep. why. And almost philosophical. I know. It's amazing. <laughs> we move from theory to philosophy. You know? I know, right? Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening this long. If you did listen this long, we appreciate you. And we will catch you on the next one. Peace out, guys.